Matthew chapter 9, and we're starting here in verse 18. We're looking at verses 18 through 34 this morning. And because this is the holiday season, and we could all use a little bit more exercise, why don't you stand with me uh, this morning as we read the Word of God today. Matthew chapter 9, starting here in verse 18. While he was saying these things, that's Jesus, while Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus spoke and and Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping, and they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men following him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And he entered the house, and the blind man came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. The crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that even as we study your word this morning, uh, that our faith in you would grow that our faith in you, our trust in you, Lord, would grow and that we would uh, believe upon you for great things. Lord, that we would not be uh, of those who are of little faith, but Lord, that you would increase our faith. And Lord, we even pray like the man who, who struggled to believe, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I pray that as we spend time in your word, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Lord, today we pray that you would increase our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. This last phrase that this story ends with here, verse 34, the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. What an incredible statement! Jesus will address that statement later on in Matthew's gospel as that will be, that accusation will come up against him again. And we'll look at it in more detail when it arises then. But it just goes to show the hardness of the hearts of the Pharisees in those days that they would not celebrate the great things that God was doing in their midst. God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, God in their midst, healing, restoring raising even the dead to life, and their hearts were so hardened that they could not celebrate it. Now this passage we see here, there's, there's three different stories, three different episodes, and, and in these three stories, there's four different healings that take place. And this passage especially is a very personal subject for me, and I'll explain why that is a little bit later on this morning. But because of its personal nature for me, I've had to wrestle long and hard with texts like these, 
because of the way that they have intersected my life in very profound and even painful places as my, in my life. And so as we walk through this today, I want you to know that I'm not just some detached observer offering to you some theological ideas or some doctrine, but that truly my walk with the Lord has been profoundly impacted in multiple ways by the words in this text this morning. And so with that introduction, I have, I'm looking at my notes here today and I realized I have over-prepared, but I have seven observations that I want to lay before you from this text this morning. And the first is this, there is a connection between receiving from God and our faith. There is a connection between receiving from God and our faith. Now this is undeniable because explicitly, twice explicitly, Jesus says this. We see he says this to the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. She had, had sought physician's help. She had sought to be healed of this uh, 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 sickness. And she reaches out. She touches the hem of his garment in faith. And then in verse 22, it says, Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Again, with the two blind men who were crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Jesus somehow walks past them, walks into a house, and somehow the blind men follow Jesus into the house. And, and when he goes into the house, they come to him, and Jesus asks them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. So this is undeniable that there is a connection. There is some sort of connection between our faith and receiving from God an answer to our prayers. And this is even seen in the other two accounts, these other two healing accounts here. The, the ruler whose daughter had died, he's going to Jesus because... Why? He believes that Jesus can do something about it. If he didn't believe, if he didn't have faith, he wouldn't be going to Christ and asking him to heal his daughter. And likewise, it is with the, with the demon-possessed man, the mute. The, there are people who believe, who have faith in Christ, and, and because they believe that Christ is able to intervene, they bring this man to Christ that he might cast the demon out. And so there is some sort of connection here between coming to Christ in faith and receiving answers to our prayers. Now around this idea, there's two very prominent camps, two very prominent theological ideas and, and different movements, different camps that sort of set up uh, camp around these ideas. And the first says that your faith is the key to getting what you want from God. The first group would say that your faith is the key to getting what you want from God. So whatever it is, if you have faith, God will give it to you. So believe it and receive it. This is also sometimes called word of faith, uh, doctrine, word of faith, theology. Whatever you can believe for, that is what you will receive. Sometimes it's also called name it and claim it. And then sometimes funnily it's called blab it and grab it. So they, they say whatever it is, if you have faith to receive it, you will receive it. Because that's what Jesus says here in this verse. Therefore, if you ask God for something and you don't receive the answer to your prayer, it's because you didn't have enough faith. So that's the word of faith movement. That's where they set up around this text. Another camp would focus on the, the, the sovereignty of God. That, that God is completely and totally sovereign over all things. That, that he, as Ephesians chapter 1 says, uh, uh, does everything in accordance with his will. 
that he is, he is doing everything to bring about his ultimate plan and purpose. And so therefore, God's going to do what God's going to do. He's sovereign. He declares the end from the beginning. And it doesn't matter if you have faith or not. And some would say it doesn't even matter if you pray. God's going to do what God is going to do. And so the first camp, they have nothing to do with God. It's all about you and your faith. The second camp has nothing to do with you and your faith, but it's all about God. And it's easy to fall into either one of these camps. Because either one of these camps, what they do is it alleviates all the tension that's present in living life in this fallen world. It removes all of the tension. It removes all of the what ifs. It removes all of the, the, the questions that might arise from unanswered prayer. But also what it does is it, it, it removes all the relationship between God and us. You see, we're to be in relationship with God. We're to be in fellowship with God. We're to be walking with the Lord. God is not a math problem. God is not an equation where you just punch in the right variables and this is the result you get. No, God is a person to be known, to be loved, to have fellowship with. He's not a math problem to be solved. But the result is then that this text paints a picture for us that can be messy at times. Because Jesus does say that your faith to these two people, your faith has made you well. Let it be done to you according to your faith. And so it ends up becoming messy because sometimes we pray in faith and God heals. Amen? And sometimes we pray in faith and God doesn't heal. And so what are we to do with all that? And so this is, this is where this uh, text becomes very personal for me. Because as you, most of you know, my story, uh, my dad passed away very suddenly. He passed away May 6, 2012, in his office, nearly 12 years ago. In his office, on a Sunday morning, during church. Many of you were here that morning. And as we found out that we, we, didn't, we didn't understand, we didn't know how, how long it had been since he had passed away. And he was up in his, in his office in the chapel building. And when, when I walked in there and, and saw him there in that state, laying on the floor, I didn't know he was passed away. I didn't know what was going on. And so we began to pray, began to pray in faith. And you guys know what happened. God didn't heal him. God didn't raise him up. He didn't, he didn't get up and healed and, and come and preach whatever message he had prepared that day. Instead, he left his office on the gurney. He left his office carried out on the way to the mortuary. And so this was very difficult for me because we had prayed and we had prayed in faith and God did not answer our prayer. I remember my uncle Nathan, my dad's brother, he was here at the service, the funeral service. My uncle Nathan was a missionary in China and he came back for the funeral. And my Uncle Nathan stood here and he said something that made me so mad at the funeral. He said this. He said, if we could see what God sees, we would choose what God has chosen. That basically God has a plan and a purpose in this that transcends anything that we can see. We can't see it here. But God is even working even in this. I, 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 that, that, 
That made me mad. That ticked me off, I'll be honest. I, I, it's hard for you to, to believe it, but I am a human being and I have fleshly emotions from time to time. And, and shortly after my dad passed away, I was sitting having lunch with uh, a minister. I was pouring out my heart to him. I was so confused. I, I didn't understand how God could allow this to happen. I was wrestling through what my Uncle Nathan had, had said. And I, I have to believe that God is sovereign. The scripture declares it. I have to believe that, that God could have intervened and could have healed him, but he chose not to. And as I was sitting across the table from this minister, who, whom I respected greatly, he looked me in the eye and he said this. He said, if you would have had faith for God to heal your dad, your dad would still be alive today. <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> he said, if your elders were real men of faith, your dad would still be alive today. And then he said this, if your dad was a real man of faith, he would still be alive today. Isn't that awful? That is classic word of faith theology. Classic, to a T. To a T. It's awful. It truly is. Because it, it puts the responsibility for everything on us. It puts it on us. 100% on us and our faith. And so I, I decided, you know what, I don't want anything to do with that. that that's, that's some nasty stuff. I, I don't want to believe anything that would ever cause me to sit across the table from someone who is you know, brokenhearted and, and tell them that it basically was their fault that their family member had died. So we're going to pause that story. We'll, we'll pick it up in a little bit. However, with that said, I cannot deny that Jesus tells this woman, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And to the blind men, he says, according to your faith, be it done to you. So there is a connection, and I will not deny it, that there is a connection between from receiving from God and our faith. But what is that connection? So let's continue. Let's press on. The second observation I, I want to make here this morning I'm not, call, I'm not calling these points because they're not well-crafted enough to actually be called points. They're just observations. But that all four of these miracles are desperate situations. These are desperate situations. These people, if Christ doesn't heal them, there's no hope. The, the woman with the issue of blood, she's gone to doctors. She's, uh, Luke's gospel tells us, and Mark as well, that she's spent all of her money on physicians. And they've been able to do nothing for her. And so if Christ doesn't intervene, there is no hope. This young girl had died. If he doesn't raise her up, there, there's, there's no hope. There's no future. With the, with the blind man, with the mute man. And so there is something to desperation and faith. There is something, there is some sort of connection to the fact that when you have no other options, you are forced to lean upon Christ. And there is, a, there is truth to the fact that in our Western world and, and in the blessings that we have living in this country, that we have lots of options. Do we not? When we get sick, when, when we have a headache, we've got about 75 different options. We could take Excedrin, we can take Advil, we can take aspirin, we can take Tylenol. They have powders you can snort. They have, they have drinks you can drink. They, I mean, they've, they've got everything. They've got, they've got rubs you can rub. I mean, you've you got all kinds of stuff, all kinds of options. And it is true, I think it is true that 
that we tend to, even as Christians, look to other things before we look to Christ for the answer. Lots of different options that we're so quick to turn to instead of looking to Christ and faith. And, and, and so this is something to consider. This is something to meditate on. That when we are faced with trouble, when we are faced with problems, do we just trust in ourselves to figure it out? Do we just sit down with a, with a legal pad and, and say, okay, what's the pros and the cons and, and how do I think through this and how do I logically plan out a plan of attack? Just trusting in ourselves, our own, our own giftings, our own intuition to, to sort things out? Or do we immediately just look to others for advice and help? Or do we look immediately to medicine and, and to doctors? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do all of those things. Uh, certainly don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you should never go to the doctor. I'm not saying you should never take an aspirin or an Advil. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I believe that all of those things are a great blessing from God. But, hear this, we must be careful that we are not putting our faith in them. That I am not trusting in the Advil that I am not trusting in the doctor, that I am not trusting in the, these people's advice to heal my relationship or my marriage or my finances. No, I must trust in Christ. I, I must put my faith in Christ. And Christ can use whatever means he wants to accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish and so as I, even as I go and seek advice from the medical profession, I'm only seeking their counsel, I'm only seeking their advice, but I must put my faith in Christ because he is the healer. The, the doctor can't heal you, amen? The, the counselor cannot heal your marriage. They can give you some good and godly advice and some godly wisdom, but truly it is the power of Christ that can only bring healing to our bodies and our souls. And so third observation here is that we must put our faith in Christ alone. Our faith must be in Christ alone. Not, not in anybody or anyone else. We don't put our faith in the medication. We don't put our faith in the good advice. We must put our faith in Christ. And that is what these people here are doing. They are, they are casting themselves completely and totally upon Christ. And what this also means is that as we put our faith in Christ, we're also not putting our faith in our faith. You see, that's what the word of faith people do. That's what that doctrine says. They teach you to put your faith in your faith. But truly, your faith is not what brings you healing. It is Christ who is the healer. This is how this works out. If you're putting your faith in your faith, you say, I believe I will receive, and whatever it is, I believe I will receive because I have faith. Therefore, I will receive. God will answer my prayers because I have faith. That's putting your faith in your faith. This is an error because our faith can't do anything. It truly is Christ who is the one who works, who intervenes, who does the miracle. And so putting your faith in Christ looks much different than putting your faith in your faith. Putting your faith in Christ says, I know, God, that you can heal. I believe you have the power to heal. That's why I'm coming to you in faith. That's why I'm coming to you and asking you to intervene, 
to heal this person, to, to move in this relationship, to move uh, in my children's life. I'm coming to you because I believe in you. I'm trusting in you. And then guess what? You trust in him. You trust in him. The three Hebrew boys, you remember them who, who stood up when everybody else bowed down to the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were to bow down when the music played, and when the music played, the whole nation bowed down before this golden idol, this golden statue, except for three Jewish boys. And so they're brought before the king, the most powerful man on the planet. And he says to them, maybe you didn't understand the directions. Let me explain this to you again. We're going to do this again, and this time you're going to bow down. They said, it doesn't matter how many times you do this, we're never going to bow down. He said, then I'm going to throw you into this fire, and you're going to burn. This fiery furnace. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, this is their response. They said this, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's what believing in Christ in faith looks like. God is able to deliver us. And God is going to deliver us out of your hand. But if he doesn't, you need to know that he is still God. And he is still on the throne. And you will stand before him and give an account one day. This is what faith in Christ looks like. God, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you in faith. I'm trusting upon you for, for the answer to this prayer. And God, I believe that you will do what is good and that you will do what is right. And I'm trusting in you completely. That is what faith looks like. So there is a connection between our faith and receiving from God. Jesus says so here, and I do not want to deny it. There is something too here about this desperate situation that they are in. They have no other options and they only look towards Christ. We must put our faith in Christ and not put our faith in our faith. But put our faith in the one who actually has the power to intervene. And therefore, number four observation, we should pray in faith for Christ to heal. We should do this. James chapter 5, if you want to turn over there with me, James chapter 5 gives us instructions along these lines. In James chapter 5, in verse 13... Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. James 5:14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven therefore confess your sins one to another pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Six years after my dad passed away, 
my mom passed away in eerily similar fashion. Except this time when uh, we found my mom and got to my mom, uh, she had not passed away yet. She was still uh, very close to passing away, had a very faint pulse. The emergency workers were, were doing what they could, a CPR on her. And we began to pray and to pray in faith and ask for God to heal her. As they rushed her to the hospital, I called the ministers that I knew and asked them to begin to pray for my mom. I explained the situation and we sped from her house to Methodist Hospital. I was the first one to get there and they took me in back to my mother where the doctors told me that they had done everything that they could but that they could not do anything more for her. For her. And so they, uh, I, I prayed for her. I, I asked God to heal her. They took her off. They stopped doing CPR on her and she immediately passed away. And shortly after that, um, I met with another minister. And I was really struggling at the time to even pray for people who were sick. Because my faith was at a very low point. Not that God has the power to heal our bodies or to forgive our sins. or Not that I was questioning uh, or deconstructing or anything like that. But I just struggled to believe God for healing. And so I was meeting with another pastor and his wife had recently passed away from cancer, yet he was hosting a healing service at his church where he was inviting people who were sick to come and to receive healing for, uh, receive prayer for healing. And I asked him, I said, your wife died of cancer, right? Yes. Didn't you pray for her to be healed? Well, of course we did. And didn't God not heal her? Yeah, that's right. He didn't. How in the world are you holding these services, praying for people who are, are sick? And he took me to this passage here in James. And he said, the reason we pray for people to be healed is not because we see everybody healed, but because God's word tells us to pray for people to be healed. And he said, we believe in the word of God and we want to obey the word of God. And so that's why we do it. And in that moment, the Lord really set me free from the nasty thing that that guy had told me at lunch that day. Because I believe the word of God. I believe the Bible is God's word. And I want to be faithful to it and I want to obey it. And so God's word teaches us that if anyone is suffering, he should pray. If anyone is sick, they should call the elders to come and pray. And that we should pray and that we should pray in faith, believing upon Christ to heal. And we leave the results up to God. We leave the results up to him. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. But the sovereign God tells us to pray. And the sovereign God tells the woman with the issue of blood, your faith has made you well. And the sovereign God tells the two blind men, let it be done to you according to your faith. And so there is this connection between divinity and humanity, where we reach out in faith and God hears and answers our prayers. And so if anybody is sick, we should pray and we should ask God to heal them because that's what God has told us to do. Therefore, what we should also do 
is we should expose ourselves to things that build our faith and not things that undermine and erode our faith. And so what are, what are things in your life that build your faith? Well, time in the word, fellowship with believers, worshiping the Lord, prayer. Those are the things that build our faith. What are the things that erode our faith? Traffic on 410, <laughs> Thanksgiving with your in-laws, you know, I don't know. Not, that's not from personal experience. I have the best in-laws and the best Thanksgiving. Truly, truly. Uh, but, but there are all kinds of people in our life. And there can even be Christians in our life that are just so negative. It, it doesn't build our faith to be around them. It just erodes our faith. And listen, if, if you are going through a test, a trial, a challenge, you need to surround yourself with people who will believe God on your behalf. The kind of people who say, let's pray. I'm going to hold you up in prayer. I'm going to believe God to intervene on your behalf. I'm going to be praying for you every day until we see the, the outcome of, of what God's going to do here. That's the kind of people we need in our life. And listen, that's the kind of people we ought to be for others. We ought not to be the kind of people that say, oh, I'll pray for you, brother, and then never do. We shouldn't be the kind of people that say, I'll pray for you, but I don't really think God's going to answer because it looks like you're going to die. We ought not to be like that. If we're going to obey James chapter 5, we need to be people who trust in Christ and who ask for God to intervene and ask for God to heal. And so if you are in a, in a test, a challenge, Man, surround yourself with people of faith. Pump worship music into your soul. Turn off the Netflix. Turn off the, 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 the news of, of all the horrible things going on in the world. Plug in to things that will build your faith so that you can pray and pray in faith for Christ to move. Uh, the fifth observation, we're, we're, we're rounding the corner here. The fifth observation is that not all healing is physical. Not all healing is physical. We can have faith to receive all kinds of things from Christ. Starting first and foremost with our salvation. Don't we exercise faith to receive salvation from Christ? Amen? Are we not trusting upon Christ and not our good works and not our good deeds? Are we not trusting upon his work to save our souls from sin? Yes, we are. And so we, we trust in Christ to receive salvation. We trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That must be received by faith. But you can also trust in Christ to heal your marriage. You can also go to Christ to heal your family, your relationships. The, the estranged uh, family members, the, the estranged parents or, or children. You can take that to Christ. You could trust, trust Christ for healing in your finances. You could trust Christ for healing in your relationships. You, you can trust Christ for healing in your soul. That's your mind, your will, your emotions. The way that we think about things, Christ can heal that. You know, we don't always think about things the right way that we should. Well, we need Christ to touch our, our thinking. You can go to Christ in faith for that. Your will, that's your desires. You know, we don't always desire things that are righteous and holy. Sometimes we desire things that are sinful. When that happens, we can go to Christ in faith and ask him, God, change my heart, change my desires. Help me to desire what you want. Help me to, 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 to want the things that are good and righteous and holy. We can go to Christ for healing in our emotions so that we're not always frazzled, that we're not always just raw in our 
our emotions, and we're not always just out, you know, bursting out and, and reacting to things. Christ can heal your emotions. We need to go to him in faith. We can go to Christ for healing of, of past trauma in our lives. We can go to Christ and ask him to heal the areas that we have unforgiveness towards others. Bitterness of soul towards others. Christ can heal you from that. Many of us carry regrets in our lives. Things that we did that we wish we hadn't done. Things we didn't do that we wish we had done. Carrying the burden of the past of our regrets. Christ can heal you from that. Christ can heal you even and help you to forgive yourself. Go to Christ in faith. Not just for physical healing, but for healing in relationships, family, and even in your soul. Sixth observation is a question. What do we do when Jesus does not answer our prayers? What do we do when Jesus does not answer our prayers. Well, first, I want you to know if that happens, you're in good company. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks about how he even had to leave one of his co-workers behind because he was sick. First Corinthians four, uh, sorry, second. I don't know where First Corinthians came from. Second Timothy four, verse twenty. He's writing to Timothy. He's just sort of closing up remarks. He says, "Erastus remained in Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus." So, so this idea that well, if you have faith, God will answer all your prayers and. If you have faith, all you need to do is speak it and God's going to do it. And if he doesn't answer, it means you don't have faith. If that's the case, we're going to have to say Paul didn't have faith here. I'm not willing to say that. So, so first we need to recognize that there's even the, the prayers of the Apostle Paul that were not answered in this way. Where he had to even leave one of his co-workers behind who was sick. But also what we need to understand, what, what happens when we pray and God doesn't answer? That's the question that I'm answering here. We need to recognize that our will is not always God's will. And I would say it this way, our will is often not God's will. James addressed this earlier in his book. In James chapter 4, verse 3, he said, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That oftentimes we are not praying God's will, we're praying our will. And this is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we, we, we pray and we ask, we ask in faith, but we have to recognize that what we want is not always what God wants. The second thing that we have to recognize, and this is going to sound cold, but this is the reality. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. There is coming a day. The Bible even says that. There's coming a day. It's appointed to all of us to die. We had a birthday, and we will have a death day. And in fact... The Bible says that God saw all of them before we were even born. So there, there is an appointed time for each of us to meet the Lord. And when that is and, and how that will be and the circumstances surrounding that, I don't know. It'll be a little bit different for all of us. But the reality is that all of us will die in this life. That time will come for all of us. 
And so we can pray and pray in faith. But there comes a time that God has ordained that we would pass from this life into the next. And when that happens, we need to rest on the other scriptures that tell us that that day was appointed before we even took our first breath. That it wasn't because you didn't pray enough or you didn't pray hard enough. No, God has appointed a time for each of us to meet him. And then thirdly, under this sixth sub-point, our ultimate hope is in the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. This is where we place our hope. The Apostle Paul even says this, if, if, it's in our, if it's only in this life only that we have hope, we are to be the most pitied of all people. Our, our hope truly lies in that ultimate healing, in that, in that final day when Christ returns and we will all be raised with incorruptible bodies, with glorified bodies. Our, our hope is not just in this life, but our hope is in the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead and that all who have died in Christ will be raised to new life and eternal life on that last day. And fourthly, we also need to keep in mind that if you have faith, it will be tested. If you have faith, it will be tested. James also teaches us that. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials of different kinds because the testing of your faith produces patience and patience will perfect you. That God through his testing is perfecting your faith, refining you. So if you have faith, your faith will be tested. And I think the greatest test of our faith truly is when we pray and God does not answer. That is a test of our faith. And I would encourage you, if you are in that place today, just read through Hebrews chapter 11. Read through the great hall of faith. Read through about how these great men and women of God endured in faith, trusting in God, even when things did not go the way they wanted them to go. That is true faith. That is true faith. When we continue to trust God, even when he doesn't answer the way we want him to answer. Finally, number seven, Jesus is someone that you can put your faith in. Jesus is someone that you can trust. You can trust Christ. You can put your faith in him. You can trust him because of who he is, not just what he can do. Yes, he is powerful. And yes, he does have the strength and the might to heal. Yes, he has all power and all dominion. Yes and amen. But that's not why we can trust him. There are many powerful people that we cannot trust. It is not power that makes you trustworthy. It is your character. And Christ can be trusted because of who he is. He is good. He is righteous. He does all things well. Christ always does the right thing all the time. And because of that, even when we don't receive the answer we hoped for, we still hope and trust in him because of who he is. He is good. He is faithful. And even when we walk through those valleys that we all go through in this life, we fear no evil because he is with us. 
If you're in the valley today, he is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And so let us put our faith in Christ. Let us pray in faith for Christ to move, for him to save souls, for him to heal bodies, for him to restore marriages. Let us ask Christ and ask in faith. And let us also expose ourselves to things that build our faith and not detract from our faith. And let us be the kind of people that are quick to encourage one another and say, let's pray, let's believe God, let's ask him to move, and let's see what he will do. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to prepare uh, today to take the Lord's Supper. And it is the Lord's Supper that we are reminded of the cross of Christ. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And it is through the cross and the resurrection that we see that God is with us. That, that God is intervening on our behalf that the definitive uh, victory in this life has already been won and answered in the cross and the resurrection of Christ. The greatest healing that we all need is not the healing of our body but the healing of our soul and the rec reconciliation we need with God the Father. And that is available to us this morning if we will trust in Christ and come to him in faith. The Bible says that he turns no one away who comes to him, trusting in him. And as we come today, as we come and and take of the bread that represents his body, or we take of the cup which represents his shed blood. We're doing so as an act of faith, trusting upon Christ. And as we take it, we are, we are saying in this way, I am trusting in you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of my sin and for that hope that we have on that last day. And if you have not put your faith in Christ, if you have not repented of your sin and trusted upon him, today is your day. Today is the day to repent of your sins and to look to Christ who shed his blood, who died and rose again so that you could be forgiven, redeemed, and restored. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can trust in you. Lord, the cross shows us that we can trust you. It's at the cross that you bore our sins, you bore our shame. And it's because of your death and resurrection that we have hope today. And so as we come today to take of the bread and the juice, we remember your sacrifice for our sins and we trust in you for our future. It is in Christ's name that we pray.